Hello, and welcome back to another episode of I Love This, You Should Too, a podcast with me, Samantha, and him, Indy. Hi. <laughs> How are you, Indy? I'm doing all right. You said you're feeling crazy. I just have a headache. So then that means you're going to stab someone. Yeah. Basically. In the shower. What? <laughs> why, why am I in the shower? <laughs> no, the person you're stabbing is in the shower. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. That's what crazy people do. Ah. Yeah. I just made a crazy face. It was quite crazy. <laughs> it also is the face you make when you're running away from something or if you need to get to the bathroom very quickly. Yeah. Same face. Yeah. It's it's a multi-use face. <laughs> I feel like most faces are multi-use faces. Hmm. My face is multi-use. It's true. I use it for happiness and sadness, hunger. Those are my three emotions. They are. You have a very diverse range of emotions. Happy, sad, hungry. Hungry, so hungry. And done with it all. That's my other. So it's a pretty good range. Yeah. What are your emotions? Fancy, excited, (laughs) grumpled. Yeah. And extra grumpled. (laughs) Extra grumpled. Yeah. Okay. That's when you're real grumpy. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm too happy right now. I'm not in the grumpled phase. You're too happy right now? Okay, leave me a second. No! Um, let's see. <laughs> I'm... Is there something I can throw at you? No! Indy. Yes? Be good. Are you less happy? No. <laughs> oh, I guess it didn't work. I said I'm too happy to be grumpled right now. Right. We've used the word grumbled a lot. Yes. And I sometimes forget that that is not a real world, a real word in the real world. It's just something I say a lot because grumbled is like being grumpy, but when it's someone else's fault. Yes. So I'm grumpy if I just uh, don't sleep enough. Mm -hmm. Then you can be grumpy. Yeah. But if someone else's stupidity causes like a lot of traffic, for instance, then I've been grumbled. Because it's their fault. They grumbled it's me. It's an act. Yeah. They grumbled me. Yeah, I got so grumbled. <laughs> well, this is a vocabulary podcast now. <laughs> oh, I wish. I would love that. A good etymology podcast. I only listen to the one. Only one? There's. I don't know of other ones. Oh. Well, if you know of a good etymology podcast, let us know. Me. I don't know if you'd be doing to it. Yeah, you're right. Let Indy know. But if you have a good um, Taylor Swift podcast, she'd be into that. Yep. Or cheerleading. Or cheerleading. There aren't really cheerleading podcasts. Starbucks mugs. Starbucks mugs. Those are your three favorite things, right? Uh, Yeah, I guess so. What are my three favorite things? Cookies. Uh Uh-huh. Hockey. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Oh, kittens. All three very good things. Yeah, I think those are very you from what i know of you maybe we should talk about some favorite things we have from the last little while in our picks of the week segment oh that's exciting we'll do some quick little picks of things that we're watching or listening or reading right now and then i'm going to tell samantha about the big movie we are going to be watching for next week something that i love and something that she is not familiar with I'm uh, a little worried because I did hear part of the trailer and it sounded like a lot of murder. Not a lot of murder. (laughs) Some murder. There might be some murder. Okay, that's fine. So, Indy, do you want to start us off with your thing of the week? My thing of the week. Oh, that's better than thing of the week. I like that, actually. Thing of the week. Thing of the week. So my thing of the week is a movie. 
It's a movie called Kung Fu Hustle. Oh. Are you familiar with this at all? No. Does it involve dancing? A little bit. Not very much, though. Oh, okay. Because, like, the hustle is a dance. Yes. Is it that dance? Can you demonstrate what the hustle looks like to me? No. (laughs) Do you know what the hustle looks like? No. So then I'm just going to say, yes, it is that dance. And then, (laughs) how will you know? (laughs) Then I, yeah, okay. So Kung Fu Hustle is a 2004 film uh, written, directed, produced, starring Stephen Chow, who is a uh, pretty big time Hong Kong movie star and director and everything. And when it came out, actually, I did not see it. It wasn't until many years later that I got a chance to see it. And it's fantastic. And I'm reminded of it recently because it is now on Netflix in Canada. Oh. Perhaps other places, too. How long ago did you see it for the first time? Within the last five years, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, it was a big thing when it came out. Well, big in my circles, at right. least. Maybe not big in the world over, but I just never ended up seeing it then. And it wasn't as easy in 2004 to see smaller movies. You'd have to go to a theater or you go to your kind of art house rental store. And it, they weren't easy to come by a, uh, a Hong Kong movie that's equal parts Game of Death and Roadrunner cartoon. That is a very interesting description. (laughs) So it's famous for its very stylized fight scenes. Uh, Things aren't realistic at all, and they're not trying to be. And it's like a kung fu comedy. Oh, okay. So in the early 2000s, that style was kind of popular in North America. I think we refer to it as wire fu a lot, where it was fight sequences where people are on wires. So people are jumping super high, they're landing on swords. And I think a lot of people attributed this to The Matrix because that was kind of, it was a pioneering action movie, but of course, all of those techniques were being used in Hong Kong cinema for for many years before Mm -hmm. that. But uh, this one is not the best of that specific action genre, but it's so unique because it is, it's a comedy and it's silly and it's slapsticky. And the fight sequences are often comedic, which you don't get to see outside of like Jackie Chan movies. He'll do funny fight sequences. Okay. This is so over the top. It's it's like a cartoon, but in real life. And it gained a lot of popularity for its like unique comedic action sequences. But over it being just silly, it's also just really well done. And not only do they have these very funny action scenes, but there's also great moments of physical comedy in other sorts, and just some like really funny writing and character bits. And it's definitely popular as a as a comedy, but there's a lot more to the movie, I think, than it gets credit for because it is so over the top in in the action sequences that you kind of forget that the sets and direction are also great and i think those things don't get nearly enough credit it takes place in the 1940s somewhere in china and there's a gang called the x gang and they're called that because they all have axes oh i heard x gang the x gang the x gang that makes more sense and in an opening sequence there's this one really cool shot where this guy throws an axe and chops off a guy's leg oh so that kind of stuff happens a bit although i would say that's probably when it's at its most violent. Like, you have people getting punched and kicked, but it's so cartoonish that it doesn't really feel all that real world and doesn't seem, like, traumatizing like a lot of violence is. It's, it's, it's like a cartoon. Right. It's like a Tom and Jerry with real people a lot of the time. 
Uh, but the Axe Gang has taken over this town, and then they finally go out into the poor outskirts of the town, which they had left alone because, like, why? Those people don't have any money, so they just kind of left them alone. Mm-hmm. But there are some people in this little village, almost, a little kind of a building that are going to fight against them. And there's some, like, very talented martial artists there, so they're going to stand up to the Axe Gang. And because it is in the 40s, we get some really cool sets, some very good costuming as well that we don't think of because it's this big, giant, silly fight sequence. But Mm. the other stuff in it is really good as well. It also has a great cast. It's a lot of people that I've never seen, but I was a big fan of those like 60s and 70s kung fu movies. Mm -hmm. And all of the main fighters in this movie seem like they were the background extras in those movies. That they were just like farmers and stuff. Because they're not like action star looking people. Like one of the leads is a middle-aged landlady who has curlers in her hair and a cigarette hanging out of her mouth all the time. (laughs) there's this one dude who has like a peach fuzz mustache and his butt's always hanging out of his pants because they just keep falling down. Uh Uh, Another really good fighter is an old soft-spoken tailor who often like breaks out sobbing at several times in this movie. (laughs) They sound very interesting to see. And like the big bad villain is this old bald man in his underwear and flip-flops. And so you get to see all these really cool fight sequences. And then uh, Stephen Chow himself plays like a... a bad guy, a coward who kind of has to learn some life lessons and he has the the hero's journey through it, which is a lot of fun too. But it's it's a unique movie. And the more I try to describe it, the more I realize you can't really. Mm. It's stylized. It's over the top. It has some film noir aesthetics. It has a great cast. It has insane fight scenes. It even has a cute little love story. Um, it has gangster dance sequences it has a director who borrows equally from Bruce Lee and Buster Keaton. This movie has it all. It's just, it's all over the place. <laughs> it's so much fun. I remember the first time I put it on, I was like, oh, I'll just put this on. It's kind of fun. And within the third, first 30 seconds, I had to stop it and say like, no, this is a movie that I have to pay attention to. This is something <laughs> special You here. can't do multiple things during it. Yeah. It's really good. Check it out. It's a lot of fun if you haven't seen it already. And I'm sure most of the people out there are going like, yeah, we all know this was huge 20 years ago, but (laughs) I was a little late on that one. But now it is available for viewing on Netflix, at least in Canada. So go check out Kung Fu Hustle from 2004. Nice. And Stephen Chow has done so many other movies. So if you like this, go check out all of his other work. Hmm. Okay. Kung Fu Hustle. It sounds like it has a little bit of everything. It really does. It's it's a crazy movie. It's so much fun. <laughs> it sounds crazy just from that list of things that it has in it. It sounds like it's um all over the place. Very much. All right, Samantha, what is your thing of the week? Um, so it's not from this week. It's from about two weeks ago. Um, Taylor Swift surprise released a new album. And if you listen to the show, you know, I love Taylor Swift. So (laughs) I, um, am really, really into her new album, Folklore. So it's got 13 songs on it. She wrote, recorded, and produced it in quarantine. And, um... One of the fun things about her is that uh, she does um, kind of like hints that you don't know are hints until after the fact. What do you mean? So she'll post things on Twitter um, or uh, 
Instagram and it'll be uh, like it'll be like um, like a photo of her. Um, there was one in April that said not a lot going on at the moment, which like nobody really had a lot going on in the moment in April because we were all in quarantine. So um, everyone just kind of thought that it was like, oh, Taylor's in quarantine too and da, 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 da. But then after the album was released, there's a series of text messages that she shared and um, they have to do with – uh, that specific date that that Instagram post was posted and that um, she was like kind of hinting that she had something coming in the future, which is kind of neat. So her saying not a lot going on is a hint that, in fact, there is a lot going on? Yes. Huh. <laughs> if I, I feel like you sound like me talking about The Lighthouse is how you talk about Taylor Swift. See, it's actually an allusion to a big Greek tragedy. <laughs> I think you might be reading too much into that. Oh, uh, you'd have to... I'd, you know what? That's You're exactly right, and I do not want any trouble from any Taylor Swift fans. Because <laughs> They're gonna come you get all you. scare me. <laughs> um, there's a lot of like conspiracy theories and stuff surrounding all of her albums. Of oh my God, like, really? who they're about, and who... like did what and what is actually something that happened and something that like is true and like people in the taylor swift community will like go after people for treating taylor swift badly i love her she's the best don't hurt me (laughs) um so this album it's it's different from her last album um which was lover which is very poppy and fun and like upbeat and positive and this one is um, still pretty positive, but um, it's very dreamy sounding. A lot of the uh, a lot of the album is her playing piano um, with just like really basic um, kind of background accompaniment, and it's just such a gorgeous album to listen to. Um, in most situations i don't know i found it very calming there's still some like kind of dancey tracks and there's a lot of um like she's doing a lot of storytelling this is a little bit less about her and her life and more um kind of history and um she writes about kind of a love triangle in high school um and so she does some really cool things and there's three songs in the album that are to do with kind of a teenage love triangle and they're not one right after another they're kind of sprinkled throughout the album so you really kind of go on a journey throughout this album which is really neat so by history, does she? Do you mean she's talking about like historical events? Yeah. So one of her songs called "Last Great American Dynasty" is about the house that she lived in, or that she owns in Rhode Island, um, and the previous owners. So it was this, um, the heir to the Standard Oil fortune and his wife, and how um, they were kind of. She says they're they're gauche and that they're like loud and kind of kind of new money ish. <laughs> I like that you use the terms both gauche and new money with no irony. <laughs> That's just how you talk. And but it's it's just like quotes from the song basically. Um, and so and it's this woman, um, the wife of this couple who um, kind of outlives her husband and 
turns it into kind of like a party house and is um, kind of looked down upon by her neighbors because she's like really living life and spending money and being kind of frivolous in their eyes. And then um, Taylor Swift buys the house and so now she lives there. And so this is like historical people who you can like read up about and uh this woman like founded a ballet company she was known for her crazy parties and she became kind of a recluse after um a while before she she passed away so it's kind of neat to hear this whole song because you go on kind of a journey with her Hmm. interesting yeah so would you say that this is a more of a sparse and bare album than what she normally does absolutely absolutely like lover was very poppy there was like full band and drums and like it it had um a lot more to it musically this is this is the album you could sit in an abandoned cabin in the woods and feel like the music was just totally like coming out of that room so the way you describe it, I feel like it's going to be like a, a Nick Drake album, but I think it's probably not that far. Is it more than one instrument at a time? It's more than one instrument at a time, but like I said, it's very, like the accompaniment is very kind of stripped down and it's very um, quiet. It's definitely, there isn't like a huge guitar solo or any like anything like that where like you're like the music is really part of it it's kind of just accompaniment to how um like beautiful her lyrics are would you say that it's still a pop album or is it a folk album i'd say it's kind of a mix of pop and folk for sure this is something there's a couple songs on the album that i could imagine like seeing on a side stage at folk fest like at a music festival where you're sitting in the grass and you're listening to it and like it just sounds so like clean and basic mm-hmm. basic is probably the wrong word but it's very it's very minimalist and i i really like it no i think we have uh an association with basic and simple as being bad but mm-hmm. a lot of the times that's exactly what you want and exactly. there's a lot of basic simple music like mm-hmm. i was saying like nick drake iron and wine all those yeah I, I, iron I really and wine love. would definitely be something that i would kind of attribute to being kind of of the style oh maybe i'll do you think i would like this album it sounds I like it's my kind of stuff you might um i know you really enjoyed uh the ryan adams version of 1989 because mm-hmm. he did a whole cover album of that. Which was fantastic. It's too bad he's such a garbage human. So this is another... Th- <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, how we view celebrity is very different. Yeah. Because you know all of the stuff about Taylor Swift. Yeah. But for me, the musicians I like, I like them as musicians. Mm-hmm. And I very rarely kind of venture into their personal life. Right. Like Jack White is my maybe my favorite living musician. Mm-hmm. And... I try not to learn too much about him. I hear he's like a cool guy. He's kind of a weirdo, kind of cool. But that's all. I don't... And if I were to meet him in person, I would not be starstruck. Hmm. I would just be like, you made some really good music. But I think I don't think of celebrities as being great in many things. Like we Mm -hmm. kind of have this thing. And I'm not trying to say that you do it. I think the world does it. Oh, absolutely. Just because someone is great at one thing, we're like, okay, so what are your takes on politics? And you're like, why would they know anything about this? (laughs) But you were like a real Taylor Swift fan, not in just the music, but her the yes. person the cult around her and and the music of course right yes absolutely and i think that i really like i admire her talent and also since she left her 
original record label, um, she started to come out on things like politics and started to have more of a voice and really backed her friends up and, you know, showed up for people when they needed a little bit of her like star power. And I think that that is something that kind of endears me to her. Yeah, everything I hear about her seems like she's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's not my style of music mm-hmm. so much. I don't like the the poppy stuff yeah. as much. But I think of poppy stuff, I think it's been pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I'm, of course, not very well versed in, <laughs> in Taylor Swift. I get what you play in the car every now and then, and right. that's about it. Yeah. Well, we'll have to take a listen to this album, because I have a feeling that you will really like it. Um, it is definitely more on the folk side, which is something that we haven't really heard from her before. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, yeah, I'm just impressed that while we were all, like, sitting on the couch eating pizza and, like, thinking about going outside, she was producing and writing a 13-song album. Well, I'm sure she did, though. I'm sure she did, <laughs> yeah. So, of the Taylor Swift albums, how many are there? This is number eight. Eight? Wow, I didn't Referred realize there's so many. as TS8. All right, now. <laughs> what does she, run the jewels? Yeah. RTJ4. I still say their second best album after <laughs> RTJ1. Um, Where do you rank this out of the TS's? TS8. Um, the first album that I really loved of hers was Red, which was her fourth album. Um, and then she kind of moved into like a different direction, but still very poppy with 1989, which is another really like favorite of mine. It's something that you can kind of turn on when you're in a certain mood, and it's it's really nice to listen to. Um but I think, like, Lover and Folklore are probably my favorite right now. Oh, you like the new stuff. I like the new stuff because she's no longer with her previous uh, record label. So it gives her some more freedom. She's basically allowed to make whatever music she wants to now. And you can really see that because I think this would be an album that that previously like previous record label wouldn't have allowed her to do because she has a brand there's a formula it's like very specific and all of her albums while each one kind of had a different sound and like feeling they were very pop they were very specific in what they were and i think that now that she's with um this new label um i think she is really kind of like stretching her legs and kind of figuring out what kind of music she wants to make in the future so what you're saying is when artists are allowed to do what they want without financial concern production companies record labels holding them down they're much better yes i concur yeah so um i'm really excited in the next year she's going to be re-recording all of her previous albums so that she owns the masters to them Oh, interesting. Yeah, because she lost the Masters to her first six albums when she left that record label. Right. It's like a whole Johnny Cash thing. Yeah. It's like Sun Records. Yeah. I I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But yeah, so everyone's really excited to see kind of what she does with that, if she's going to re-record them like word for word and note for note so that she owns her music, or if she's going to kind of do almost like a reimagined version of those albums. Oh, that's very interesting, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So Taylor Swift, Folklore, listen to it, curled up in a cozy blanket with some uh, with some tea. All right. That sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah. So, Indy, are you ready to tell me what we're going to watch this week? Let's do it. Over my last few picks, I think I've been doing things that are a little more topical. I was trying to do something a little lighter Mm -hmm. with uh, A League of Their Own, and then we had the big baseball thing. So I think we should get 
back down to where we started. And let's go back for another installment of Indie's Film School. (laughs) Excellent. And we are going to go with the 1960 Alfred Hitchcock classic, Psycho. Oh, okay. Perfect. So before we get into why I love Psycho and why I think everyone needs to watch it, what are your experiences <laughs> with Psycho? Well, we watched it in installments on our first couple of dates, never finished it. <laughs> and then um, we went to see it, that it was playing in a theater, and I fell asleep. Yeah, so this is a movie that Samantha has seen the beginning of seven times. <laughs> and then we went to a theater to watch it because it was being re-released. And I loved seeing it on a big screen. That was pretty great because I'd never done that mm-hmm. before. And it wasn't until probably a couple of weeks later that I realized that you didn't even see the ending. No. So you don't know any outcome of what happens no. in this movie. What do you know? Um, I know that there's a big creepy house on a hill that is just above uh, kind of a motel. Bates Motel. Bates Motel. Which I think you said is a show that you've seen. Yes, it is a show that I've seen. So you are familiar with Bates Motel, but not Psycho. Yeah. I don't know if I can express how angry that makes me. I'm sorry. (laughs) That someone can know Bates Motel, which I assume is like some sort of CW show or something like that. Are there sexy teens in it? Better played by 32-year-old no, Jackman. No, <laughs> there's this very creepy teen and um, a just kind of normal-looking teenage girl. There's not like... It's not like Riverdale. It's not like the OC or Riverdale, yeah, where everyone's the like... The OC? Yeah. Then you need to update your references. <laughs> and that's me saying that. I know. And I'm getting you to watch Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that uh, they do a good job of not like glamorizing a show that they very well could have done. All right. Well, Bates Motel is the motel where Psycho takes place. And I first saw it probably when I was like 16 or so, maybe even earlier, because I know I made my first parody of it when I was like 13. Oh. So at least I was familiar with what it was. I must have seen it before that. Yeah. I was going to say, how do you make a parody of something you've never seen? It's it's that big. You could parody Star Wars without seeing it, right? Probably, yeah. And as a kid who was like somewhat interested in movies, even at a young age, Psycho was something that was that big that uh, even in like the late 90s as uh, as a kid, I knew about it enough to make this terrible parody when I killed someone in a shower, which is why we were talking about that a little <laughs> right. earlier. Yes. So if Halloween, which we had talked about last Halloween, is kind of the birth of what the slasher film is. Psycho might be like the proto-slasher before that even came about. This created a lot of those themes that went right through the 80s, especially. That's when kind of the the heyday of the slasher film. Mm -hmm. It stars Vivian Lee, who was a huge star at that point. And you know who her daughter is? Jamie Lee Curtis, who is the star of Halloween. Oh, so they're like a horror family. Yes, they're the Scream Queens. Yeah. Which also, you tell me, is a show, Which is right? also a CW show. <laughs> <laughs> it's so just so really, lame saying that. <laughs> what I should do is just talk about CW stuff and the influences that created it. Because then people like now would care about it. Yeah. Because I don't know if a lot of people want to hear a podcast on 
movies from the 60s, mm-hmm. but the CW, they want to hear that. They do. Uh, it also stars Anthony Perkins and Vera Miles, and of course is directed by Alfred Hitchcock. And it was shocking to me that I still hadn't done a Hitchcock movie on this, <laughs> but I still haven't done a Scorsese or a Wong Kar Wai or a Kurosawa, so I need to start hitting those those big names, those people that I love, and uh, get that out into the world. Perfect. Before we go any further, let's watch a little trailer. It's a somewhat updated trailer because the original trailer for this movie was six minutes long. And it's just Alfred Hitchcock taking you around the set saying like, oh, something scary happens here. Can't say what. (laughs) And he just does that a bunch. So it's very funny. And I think a good idea because now so many trailers just they give you the whole movie. Yeah. And especially with horror. You need some surprises. You Mm -hmm. need to come at it fresh. It's hard to find a trailer for this movie that doesn't give everything away because it's so ubiquitous that people just assume like everyone knows. At this point, it's like, yeah, you you should just see what Psycho's about. (laughs) Yeah. So I have one that is more to when it came out, but not the one about Hitchcock. Right. Just walking around. So let's take a look at that. Okay. Sounds good. Here we have a quiet little motel, when in fact it has now become known as the scene of the crime. You have a vacancy? Oh, we have 12 vacancies. You know, this is the first place that looks like it's hiding from the world. I think that we're all in our private traps, clamped in them. And none of us can ever get out. Is anyone at home? Oh, that, that, uh, that must be my mother. Is anything wrong? Am I acting as if there's something wrong? She's not missing so much as she's run away. Put me down. Mother, oh God, mother! What are you running away from? She looked like a wrong one to you. It's not as if she were a a maniac. She just goes a little mad sometimes. spooked i'm terrified Ooh. no i i recognize a lot of it from um the first couple of times we've tried to watch it and i think um i'm excited to see the ending and is there like a big twist mm. okay first this is one thing that i'll tell everyone out there if someone asks you if there's a twist in a movie say you don't know if you say yes or no then they kind of go into it with that expectation right don't tell someone there's a twist okay but there's no twist or is there who knows (laughs) see just be cryptic like that you really like spun me around here i have no idea what to expect (laughs) 
And I think this is a really good movie for a lot of people who don't think they like horror movies. Right. Because it doesn't have a lot of like gruesome things. There's not really any violence because it was coming off of that production code era where you just couldn't show things. Right. So there's that. And it's more, if this came out today, we would think of it as a thriller. It's not really a straight down the middle horror movie. Right. So I think a lot of people, if you haven't seen it, you should check it out because beyond being a pioneer of the slasher genre and horror movies in general, it's just a very well-crafted film. Hmm. There's so many influences of things that I can't talk about yet, but we'll talk about after we've seen it. Next week? (laughs) Yeah, but it's fun because it's stands out from what Hitchcock was doing because he had had some like big success. I think he was coming off of North by Northwest, which was like a big movie. Right. And he couldn't get the money to do this movie. So this is actually a really low budget movie for him. It was shot in black and white because it was a lot cheaper. And I think there's some artistic merit to that as well. Mm-hmm. And it was done by a TV crew. So they didn't even have like other filmmakers there with him. It's just Hitchcock with like a bunch of people who shoot a TV show. And it was on a set that already existed for the TV show. And at the time, it had kind of like mediocre response. But hmm. as time went on, it got more and more popular Uh, Hitchcock didn't let any of the actors go and do publicity for it because he thought that they would give it away. So it was only him. That's why he was the only one in the trailer. He's the only one in the trailer. (laughs) He's the only one that went on talk shows or did interviews. He didn't let any of his cast say anything about it. And it was one of those where I think a lot of the times before the movies, they would say like, oh, you're gonna, people might have heart attacks in this movie. And they try to like get people scared by saying all of that kind of stuff but really by today's standards and even then it's not a a horrific movie Mm -mm. there's nothing in this that's going to be like shocking or jarring so if you're worried about horror movies i think this is a pretty safe one to watch Mm -hmm. so go check it out uh we'll talk about all the amazing things and how he could do so much with a small budget the influence the score oh the score the use of strings, all sorts of things like that. Yeah. Next time. Excellent. Well, I'm excited. What do you expect from from the rest of the movie? Although you've seen some of it many times. I think I'm going to be hiding under my blanket on the couch. Oh. Were you scared at all in the little bits that you've seen? No. There's like a couple of like jump scare moments, I think. Oh, I don't even remember that. I know they like cuts away to a taxidermied bird at one point, which is kind of creepy, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's not going to be anyone jumping out from behind stuff in this Yeah, movie. and I think it definitely has like a creepy feel, but um, I don't know. I'm excited to see what I've been missing. All right. Well, be sure to check it out. This is Psycho from 1960. Not any of those terrible sequels they made after Hitchcock died. Not that Vince Vaughn remake. Not American Psycho. Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho from 1960. Excellent. Well, that takes us to the end of the episode, and we're going to go watch Psycho right now. Yeah, it was a nice and kind of dreary day. The days are getting a little colder. It's a little rainier. So I thought, you know what? We should go back to some horror. Excellent. Okay, well, we'll see you next week when we talk about Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.